Gresham College presents Conspiracy Theories, A Threat to Democracy by Professor Sir Richard Evans, FBA. Good evening, everybody. Uh, You probably all agree that we live in an age of conspiracy theories. There's just a few up there on the slide. They seem to be everywhere. No sooner does some major event occur, then conspiracy theorists get to work on it. 9-11? Well, a plot by Mossad, or perhaps the CIA, or the US government. 7-7, the moon landings, staged, moon landing staged in the American desert, or in a TV studio, or in a museum, in order to fool everyone into thinking they were real. Global warming, a myth invented by scientists to get big research grants for themselves and increase government control over society. Or, alternatively, a reality that's only challenged by a small number of scientists working secretly for oil companies and coal mining or corporations who are conspiring to to deny established scientific fact in order to bolster their own profits. Conspiracy theories like these, almost everyone seems to agree, are more widespread and more pervasive than they've ever been. And one thing they seem to have in common is a deep suspicion of government. We may be told officially that the MMR vaccine gives our children protection against dangerous diseases. But the conspiracy theorists know that, in fact, it causes autism, a fact they allege is covered up by a conspiracy hatched between government and political scientists. The coming of the internet, it's widely argued, has been the main force behind the spread of such theories. And they're undermining trust in political systems, even causing people increasingly to question the fundamentals of our democracy. In the USA, for example, trust in the elected president, Barack Obama, has been undermined by the spread of the idea that he and the Democratic Party have conspired to cover up the fact that he wasn't born in America and was therefore not eligible for an election. A conspiracy theory held not only by Donald Trump, but also hinted at by his equivalent in this country, Boris Johnson who referred to Barack Obama as half-Kenyan. The Bilderberg Group of Senior World Statesmen, in this view, is a cover-up for the creation of a new world order, you have to imagine, capital A and capital W, capital O, in which national democracies are being replaced by a global dictatorship. And Prime Minister (coughs) David Cameron, as part of the plot, connected through his wife's stepfather, to the sinister forces behind it, including the Freemasons and the Illuminati. The Queen and the entire British government, indeed all the ruling elites of the world, are actually flesh-eating green lizards from outer space, conspiring to take over the globe and concealing their true identity by disguising themselves as human. These are only a few of the conspiracy theories that are swirling around on the internet, propagated through books and articles, endlessly discussed in clubs and societies, 
pubs and bars in countries all over the world. We have in Cambridge, where I'm uh, based, uh, an interdisciplinary project, Conspiracy and Democracy, at the Centre for uh, Research in the, Social, the Arts, Social Sciences and Humanities, and funded by the Leverhulme Trust. It brings together <coughs> historians, <coughs> political theorists, philosophers, anthropologists, and internet engineers to investigate this phenomenon. We have our website, uh, which you easily consult. It's just conspiracy and democracy, one word. In our penultimate year of five, uh, thanks not only to our own research, but also to that of many visiting fellows who've come to speak to us and discuss their ideas with us, we're beginning to find our way towards some answers, some of which involve, as is always the case with research, revising the hypotheses we started out with at the beginning of the project. I'd like to address five widespread beliefs about conspiracy theories. One, that they are a new phenomenon. Two, that they are the product, product of the internet or, or, or uh, uh, in um, postmodernist times, relativism, or uncertainty about the truth in the face of the knowledge overload we're all suffering from. Or they're an attempt to reduce complex explanations to a few simple formulae or that they belong in the realm of fantasy and are always a product of a paranoid imagination. That they're particularly prevalent in democracies, and finally, that they all fundamentally follow the same patterns and structures of thought. Now, I'll say a bit about each of these hypotheses or beliefs, and then I'll go on to conclude with an assessment of how conspiracy theories relate to democracy and whether they're a threat to it. So let me start by asking whether conspiracy theories are a new phenomenon spread, perhaps, by the internet. It's such a widespread belief, you can actually buy T-shirts which uh, propound it. But if we look back at history, and history is one of the key parts of the project, uh, we have to recognise, I think, that this is far too simple a way of looking, looking at it. The assassination of US President John F. Kennedy in November 1963 immediately, of course, became the object of an enormous number of conspiracy theories long before the internet came into our lives. Already within months of the assassination, nearly half of all Americans polled in opinion surveys thought that the man who'd been arrested and blamed for the shooting, Lee Harvey Oswald, had not acted alone. By 1983... 20 years after the assassination, this proportion had climbed to 80%. The reason being, of course, uh, that the previous year, one conspiracy theory had been proved to be true. Conspiracy theory that the uh, burglary of the Democratic political headquarters in uh, the Watergate Hotel had been organised from the Oval Office in Richard Nixon's White House. And that, I think, spurred people to look again at uh, the assassination of JFK. The in advent of the internet, in fact, if anything, actually reduced the prevalence of conspiracy theories about the death of the president, which towards the end of 2013, 50 years on, were believed by 62% of Americans. So there we are, you can see 
The red line is the broader plot, and it reaches a peak just after Watergate, and then it goes down. It's not actually affected by the advent of the internet in the 1990s at all. Whereas if you think that the internet helped spread conspiracy theories, you'd expect that red line to go up, uh, not the blue line. Conspiracy theories have a much longer history even than this. Go back to the great French Revolution of 1789 to 94. It's permeated by them. Robespierre's accusations that his enemies, such as Danton, were conspiring with the British to overthrow the revolution. The great fear, and peasants were inspired to rise up and attack landowners and their castles in the belief that they were engaged in an aristocratic plot to murder them. Even earlier, <coughs> political life under the French monarchy was shot through with rumours about political plots and machinations behind the scenes. Even seemingly stable political systems have been prone to such beliefs. Secret societies and conspiracies, the British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli lamented in 1856, cover Europe like a network. And he said, acting in unison with a great popular movement, the secret societies may destroy society as they did at the end of the last century. It was fear, indeed, as Disraeli articulated, of the great French Revolution, uh, and particularly the great terror, 1793-4, that inspired such paranoia. Prince Metternich, the conservative statesman who devoted his career to maintaining the status quo in Europe from 1815 to 1848, called the secret societies, he said, a real power, all the more dangerous, as this power works in the dark, undermining all parts of the social body and depositing everywhere the seeds of a moral gangrene which is not slow to develop and increase. Only close cooperation between the great powers of Europe, he told Tsar Alexander I of Russia in December 1820, could ward off the threat. The whole of Europe, <coughs> these men believed, in forming what they called the Holy Alliance of leading European states, was being undermined by plots, conspiracies, secret organisations like the Carbonari, uh, who were indeed a secret organisation represented, in, particularly in France and in Italy. Among peoples which are sick, remarked one of Metternich's allies in 1815, you find conspiracies. So, it is sort of brief uh, account just of the late 18th and early 19th century, I think, shows that conspiracy theories don't actually seem to become more prevalent with the invention and spread of the internet. Ever since the arrival of print in the age of Gutenberg and Caxton, conspiracy theories have spread in books, pamphlets, broadsheets. Of course, they can equally be spread by word of mouth, as they were in the great fear I just mentioned, or during the devastating plague of the Black Death in 1349. Rumours that it was caused by a Jewish plot to poison Christian water supplies led to pogroms across Central Europe, spreading from town to town. You can actually plot their spread up the River Rhine. And again, as I said, the great fear of 1789, uh, Georges Lefebvre showed in his classic study how word of mouth spread the idea that the aristocracy were going to kill the peasantry in France 
from place to place. Uh, the, the red lines show how you can plot uh, this rumour spreading very quickly. There have always been conspiracies, in other words, ever since human society came into being. Some of their members have gathered together in secret for some illicit purpose that they want to conceal from society as a whole. Secrecy is an essential element, of course. Not only must nobody know the purpose of the conspiracy or the identity of its members, they mustn't even know it exists. It has to be, to borrow the famous categories invented by former US Defence Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, an unknown unknown. As he says, there are no knowns. These are things we know that we can know. There are known unknowns. It's to say the things we know we don't know, but there are also unknown unknowns. These are things we don't know we don't know, and that's where, that's where conspiracies try to be. As long as there have been conspiracies, there have been theories about them. So that's my first point. Uh, internet uh, has not meant the invention of conspiracy theories. They've always existed, and you can point to many periods in the past. I've just given a handful of examples where they're quite prevalent. So the second point, well, our conspiracy theory is the product of postmodern uncertainty or relativism about truth. But of course, if you look at them, conspiracy theories resolutely insist that there's nothing uncertain or relativistic about the truth at all. You never find them citing Foucault or Derrida. Central to the whole genre of conspiracy theories is a sharp and uncompromising distinction between truth and falsehood. The allegedly official line, and any time you see a description of knowledge as official, you know it's coming from a conspiracy theorist, is dismissed as false, while the beliefs of the conspiracy theorists are presented with every appearance of sincerity as the unvarnished real truth. Often enormous edifices of empirical detail are constructed to back up this assertion. If you think that conspiracy theories are a way of reducing the complexity of the modern world and the information overload to a simple formula, you only have to look at the painstaking compilations of evidence assembled by the advocates of almost any conspiracy theorist to realise you're wrong. Come to my third point. Conspiracy theories aren't always or necessarily wrong. Many Many of them were no mere fantasies, but had and sometimes still have a basis in the truth. And our project looks at the relationship between conspiracies and conspiracy theories as a central part of our work. In the 1820s, as I've hinted with the Carbonari, conspiracies, secret societies did indeed proliferate. Some, like the Carbonari in Italy and France, the Burschenschaften in Germany, uh, the Decemberists, in Russia really did plot revolutions, of which there were a great many in Europe in the course of the 1820s, most of them unsuccessful, but a few of them not, as in Spain, for example. In Britain, the Cato Street conspiracy, in which Thistlewood and his fellow plotters planned to assassinate the entire cabinet, provided an equivalent. And in all cases, of course, the activities of police spies and infiltrators into these conspiracies served only to increase the sense of paranoia all round. In our own time, some conspiracies about key events have indeed turned out to be true. 
the destruction of New York's Twin Towers in 2001 was the result of a conspiracy, one that was hatched within the loose organisation known as Al-Qaeda. The break into the Democratic Party headquarters in the Watergate Hotel, as I mentioned, was a result of a conspiracy organised by President Nixon. The bombs that went off in London on the 7th of July 2005 were the result of a conspiracy hatched by British-based Islamist extremists. Some major events indeed are the product of small groups of people meeting in secret to plan them. Niccolò Machiavelli was so convinced of the reality of conspiracies as a standard instrument of the politics of Italian city-states in the Renaissance that he devoted a whole section of his discorsi to discussing them. So conspiracy theories don't necessarily belong in the realm of fantasy. If we investigate them carefully, some of them turn out to be right. A fact not entirely unrelated to the strong support some well-supported conspiracy theories have in public opinion polls. It's very hard to get away from the, the, the negative connotations of the term conspiracy theory. But we've tried to not to assume that they're necessarily wrong. Well, are they then an inevitable product of democracy, where everyone's free to put forward their own explanations of major current events? Well, in fact, we know that conspiracy theories have also been widespread in dictatorships and authoritarian regimes. Paranoia in government circles about conspiracies rooted in the revolutionary discontents of the people has in fact been strongest after major revolutions. Governments feel insecure. And while some of their fears are genuine, they've also used them in some circumstances as a technique of repression. Hence the infamous Carlsbad decrees, press censorship uh, in the 1820s, and transnational network of political police, the rest of the paraphernalia of authoritarian government put into place by Metternich in this time, looking back at the French Revolution and trying to uh, uh, stop, stop it happening again by suppressing free speech, prompted radical cartoonists to portray journalists and writers wearing muzzles oops, and uh, there we go, asking, uh, asking rhetorically how much longer are we permitted to think? So how much longer is the, is, is, uh, are we, uh, is the is thinking going to be uh, permitted to us? I see I've missed out a graphic there. Um, that's the world average in 2008. Uh, so Al-Qaeda, the conspiracy, uh, not quite a majority. A um, lot of don't knows, a small number of people who think it's the US government or, or Israel. So the Carlsbad decrees. And a century later, a few years after the Russian Revolution, Stalin invented huge conspiracies to destroy the, uh, the Russian Revolution and its achievements. They were, in Stalin's propaganda, led by capitalist engineers or by Trotskyites or by Tsarists. Uh, and he invented these uh, really from the beginning of the 1930s, to cover up the failures of his policy of the collectivization of agriculture, which had a ruinous effect on farming in the Soviet Union and cost millions of lives. Uh, and also, of course, 
to eliminate rivals or potential rivals to his personal rule. Stalin dramatized these theories in show trials during which the accused were often long-term so-called old Bolsheviks who had worked with Stalin and for many years and before him with Lenin, even from before the First World War, confessed to having conspired against the Russian Revolution from the very beginning. Here's a cartoon of their extraordinary confessions in the, uh, in, in the dock uh, when Stalin was accusing them of these, these completely fantastic crimes. Of course, they made these confessions because their families were threatened with torture and uh, shooting if they didn't confess. But Stalin clearly felt the necessity to bolster his own regime and his own rule by eliminating these rivals through the use of conspiracy theories. <coughs> A dictatorship like that of Hitler banned all political organisations apart from the Nazi party. It forced all independent groups and movements, organisations, including the press and the news media, to close down or be co-opted into the Nazi uh, regime. He forced his critics and opponents to go underground and work conspiratorially, even if it was only to produce leaflets and pamphlets for secret distribution during the night, or merely to keep the flame of communism, socialism or liberalism burning till better times came. In the end, while when open dissent and criticism is impossible, the only way to oppose a government is by forming a secret society or a conspiracy. Thus, the uh, conspiratorial organisations like the Carbonari in the 1820s uh, existed because you couldn't oppose governments in Europe at that time, apart from in Britain, uh, openly. And even in Britain, there were many severe restrictions on the freedom of the press. If you wanted to criticise the government, you wanted to oppose it, you had to do so in secret. The same was true, of course, much in a much stronger sense in Stalin's Russia or Hitler's Germany. And for Metternich, Stalin or Hitler, positing the existence of a conspiracy to overthrow them was a convenient and intellectually easy way of accounting for opposition or getting rid of it by portraying it as the tool of secret and malign forces. Creating a fear of conspiracy, in fact, could actually be a way of summoning one up. During the French Revolution, Robespierre denounced conspiracies with growing frequency and intensity, declaring the only way to stop a conspiracy was to cut off its head. And when he said cut off its head, he really meant cut off its head. Eventually, as his reign of terror threatened to consume everyone, a real conspiracy formed, which overthrew him. And it was Robespierre who lost his head and not the conspirators. It's the death of Robespierre and the guillotine. Conspiracies as well as conspiracy theories, therefore, can be the product of dictatorship as well as democracy. Now, history is, of course, littered with secret plots to overthrow democratic political systems, notably in the 1960s and 1970s, the coup d'etats that established military regimes in many South American countries, notably Chile, with the overthrow of 
President Allende, who's an elected democratic president, by the military plot led by General Pinochet, establishing a dictatorship, or in Greece, the regime of the colonels, again overthrowing a democracy, setting up a dictatorship. But the very existence of a dictatorship or an authoritarian regime acts as a spur to its enemies to get behind uh, the scenes to overthrow it. Of course, it's um, always a, uh, when you have a coup d'etat, the classic thing that happens, the generals then say, uh, democracy was falling apart, we are restoring it. And this is a cartoon comment on that kind of rhetoric. Now, these events um, very often inspire conspiracy theories. And this brings me to the final point in my list. (coughs) Whether or true or not, conspiracy theories are often thought to follow more or less the same kind of pattern. They often cluster around major political events or around major crimes, which they frequently interpret as the outcome of a plot, an intention, or an aim pursued in secret by a small number of plotters. And yet, when we look, for example, at the numerous examples in history of the assassination of leading political figures or heads of state, we find that most of the assassins have, in fact, been lone individuals and not groups or conspirators. even if they've been acting in the name of some wider ideology, such as Catholicism, socialism, anarchism, or nationalism. And often it seems to people that this is just not, can't possibly be true. A huge major event can't be the product of some lone nutcase uh, shooting a gun at a president Hence the conspiracy theories that have swirled around the assassination of JFK or around the burning down of the Reichstag, the the German parliament, on the 27th of February, 1933. As the building blazed away, Adolf Hitler, the titular head of a coalition government, appointed the 30th of January, just under a month before, saw his opportunity and had a decree passed, suspending all civil liberties until further notice. Uh, In this case, renewed until the Third Reich came to an end in 1945. So it was the the first, in some ways, the most important pillar of the Nazi dictatorship, which came into being then over the following few months. So no Reichstag fire, no dictatorship, goes the argument. Conspiracy theories often start by identifying as the originators of an event or a phenomenon the people who benefited from it most. They ask the question, qui bono? Who had the advantage? And they make the leap then and say, then if they gained from it, they must have caused it. (coughs) So in this case, I want two rival conspiracy theories. The Nazis identified the communists. They said that the Reichstag fire was the first step in a planned seizure of power by the Stalinist far left. And therefore, they arrested communists in their thousands, their tens of thousands indeed, it was a mass movement at the time, put them in the newly invented concentration camps, murdered many of them, and then destroyed uh, the communists altogether. But the communists, in their turn, 
argued that because the Nazis benefited from the fire and were able then to set up their dictatorship, they must have started it. A theory that they and their successors have been trying to prove ever since. In fact, there's very little evidence to show that anyone was involved in starting the fire except a lone Dutch anarcho-syndicalist, Marinus van der Lubbe, who was uh, the only person found guilty in the subsequent trial, despite all the pressure put on the court by the Nazis to uh, find the Communist Party responsible. But it's hard to accept that large consequences can come from individual actions, especially such an ordinary, rather miserable-looking uh, person like Marinus van der Lubbe or that the creation of a dictatorship was based on the exploitation of an unintended and unanticipated event. So the Reichstag fire must have resulted from a conspiracy, not from the actions of this man. Well, the Reichstag fire came at a transitional point in the destruction of the Weimar Republic and the creation of the Nazi dictatorship. It's not surprising that it generated these two rival conspiracy theories. One formed by the government, directed against the people or a significant part of them, in the shape of the mass communist party of the day, and another formed by the communists against the government. The, um, uh, in Europe, at least, democracies have generated conspiracy theories. But these have been directed particularly against governments. Democracy generates a public demand for transparency. And transparency is something that no government can ever wholly uh, perform. Governments have to have secrets for all kinds of reasons, financial reasons, policy reasons, and so on. Government secrecy tends to arouse suspicion, which is then expressed in some cases in conspiracy theories. But it doesn't seem that such theories are any more prevalent in democracies than in dictatorships. And dictatorships are, after all, the least transparent form uh, of any form of government. So <clears throat> what this points to is that conspiracy theories can take on a variety of different forms and structures. In order to keep the aims, purposes, methods, and membership of a conspiracy secret, it's important that as few people are involved as possible. Frequently, conspiracies, real conspiracies, have restricted the flow of information to their own members, for example, by concealing the identity of some of them from others. Police forces and agents of those against whom conspiracies are directed have, as I mentioned, frequently tried to infiltrate them in order to discover what they're doing and who belongs to them. So conspiracies have tried to ensure the loyalty of their members by the threat of retaliation against possible traitors. For example, in the <coughs> notorious Organisation Consul in the early Weimar Republic, which not only assassinated democratic politicians like Walter Rathenau, but also killed those of its own members whom it suspected of betraying them to the authorities. Similarly with the notorious Russian anarchist in the late 19th century, uh, Nechayev, who um, organised the murder of one member of his organisation, which he suspected of being a police agent. And the reduction I'd observe, observe of all of this, of course, is to be found in G.K. Chesterton's satirical novel, The Man Who Was Thursday, 
where all the members of a supposed terrorist plot turn out to be police agents. A fact that doesn't... Sorry to give away if you haven't read it. But, um, <laughs> I should have said uh, spoiler alert, shouldn't I? Uh, and this fact, of course, doesn't stop them from engaging in uh, pitched battles with one another. <coughs> now, in early modern Europe, and well into the 19th century, conspiracies cemented the loyalty of their members through sacred oaths and initiation rites. Indeed, the conspiracy, uh, the word for conspiracy in German is Verschwörung, a collective oath-taking, as also in the French conjuration and its equivalents in Spanish and Italian. And the word conspiracy actually in, in, in English means, just means sort of breathing, breathing together. Whether or not the, these oaths were religious, they owed a lot to the rites and initiation ceremonies through which the artisan and craft guilds and confraternities sought to bind their members to the maintenance of proper standards of craftsmanship and other essential aspects of their trade. Practices parodied and the supposed ritual practices of witches' covens, another very specific form of conspiracy widely believed in during the 16th and 17th centuries. A modern conspiracies here, the initiation rite here of the uh, Illuminati, I think, possibly the Freemasons in the early 19th century. Uh, uh, we don't now, modern conspiracies don't have this kind of modus operandi. Uh, conspiracy theorists in the 19th century spilled a lot of ink in continuing to describe the rituals and practices of the organisations they're writing about, particularly the Freemasons. Now, as all of this suggests, I think, in, even in the early modern period, conspiracy theories could take on a life of their own. In times of revolution and political instability, even the most innocuous secret societies like the Freemasons <coughs> or the Bavarian Illuminati, both dedicated to spreading secular doctrines of the 18th century Enlightenment, could be accused of plotting to overthrow the established social political order. Part of the reason for the fear they aroused among conservatives and reactionaries in the 19th century lay in the belief that they'd played a key role in the French Revolution of 1789, a view put forward early on by the Scottish philosopher John Robertson. Proofs of a conspiracy uh, and so on in Europe, uh, one of these classically long titles, um, Basically, it's an argument that there's a massive conspiracy that caused the French Revolution. He also, incidentally, um, uh, invented the siren, uh, though I don't, it's not terribly relevant to the uh, point, but um, perhaps that's a warning device that goes together with his book. Ultra-conservatives are alarmed by the growth of liberal constitutionalism, or by the freedom of the press, or by modern political ideas in the 19th century, found it easy to blame all of these things not just on tightly knit secret societies, but also more generally on the Jews, a religious minority which, like the more radical proponents of the Enlightenment, rejected the Christian doctrines that conservatives thought should underpin the social order. Now, the Jews, of course, are a small religious minority in Europe, but they're also present in other parts of the world, notably in the USA <coughs> and in South America. And the emergence of the anti-Semitic variety of conspiracy theory had them engaged in a global plot to destroy the Christian world. Theories 
of a global conspiracy emerged in the late 19th century in the first process of globalization and international communication. This is a period in the last couple of decades of the 19th century where you have then the world is covered by a network of telegraph uh, communications, uh, railways, steamships, uh, international trade uh, is flourishing. Uh, you have a growing number of international organizations, uh, perfectly legitimate ones of one kind and another, international conferences, world's fairs, and the rest of it. That's the first era of globalization. And uh, along with that went the globalization of conspiracy theory. And the classic expression, of course, is the forgery known as the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, which purported to show a group of Jewish elders were conspiring to destroy world civilization. It has a number of different uh, origins, uh, partly particularly in French literature, some of it satirical, uh, only taken seriously in the 19th century, uh, some of it uh, Russian, uh, particularly the Tsarist secret police, uh, ending up in this highly influential uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, which, of course, was read uh, and internalized by uh, Hitler, among other people. And in this view, a secret small group of evil individuals is behind almost everything that goes on in the world, aided by millions of willing or unwilling, witting or unwitting dupes all over the globe. Theories of this kind posit a very different kind of conspiracy from the small, tightly knit groups of plotters bent on a single end, whether it's an assassination, a coup d'etat, or massive illicit financial gain. There, these conspiracies are often vast in scale, involving, in one form or another, millions of people, involving journalists, historians, survivors, governments, the media, passively colluding in a conspiracy uh, of silence, perhaps. And uh, in particular, of course, this is the case with Holocaust denial. Uh, those who believe or purport to believe that the Holocaust never happened, uh, despite the fact that it generally accepted uh, that, it, that it did, have to posit a conspiracy formed by um, a Jewish lobby or the media uh, to dupe all of the historians all over the world, or the journalists, the writers and investigators and survivors, and to claim that they're either fools uh, or uh, crooks. Or there's the idea of, now quite common in the USA, uh, of an entire global elite hell-bent on enslaving people everywhere under an authoritarian new world order, which will come unless the mass of the people wake up and realise what's going on. NWO there on the uh, concentration camp gates uh, means, of course, new world order. And there you have under there the, uh, the number of the beast and then the sign of the Freemasons. So it incorporates quite a lot of different images. Now, theories like this are often self-confirming and self-sealing because every argument put up against them is dismissed either as the product of the conspiracy itself or just confirming the theory in the first place. David Irving's defamation action against Deborah Lipstadt and Penguin Books in the year 2000 failed. Her claim that he was a Holocaust denier and a falsifier of history was vindicated by the High Court. 
But the large quantity of evidence presented to the court did nothing to change his mind on the subject, as cartoonists were very quick to realise. Uh, this is one of these occasions when all the cartoonists in every newspaper all have exactly the same idea. Soon, incidentally, to be a major motion picture, probably out in November in the cinemas, starring Rachel Weisz, Tom Wilkinson, and uh, Timothy Spall, with a very, very small part for me, uh, played by John Sessions. Because uh, I was, a, I was a, he's got to lose some weight before he, uh, before he does the shoot, I think. Um, uh, I was a, an expert witness in the case. Still, uh, a lot of alarm about Holocaust denial, but opinion polls in the USA have consistently shown that more people believe that Elvis Presley is still alive than believe the Holocaust didn't happen. <laughs> a lot remains to be done in researching the history, structure, and dynamics of conspiracy theories, their relationships with real conspiracies, and the changes they've undergone through time. It's easy to be alarmist and suggest that they're a threat to democracy and to confidence and trust in democratic political systems. There have been relatively few times in democratic countries when this has really been the case. One of them certainly, I think, is the McCarthy era in post-war America, which arguably reduced the possibility of democratic dissent and restricted the range of political options it was legitimate to express. But the mere proliferation of conspiracy theories is surely not a threat in itself, just because... Some people believe that men never landed on the moon isn't going to undermine the American political system or any other. And while the widespread belief among some Republicans that President Obama is not American uh, is obviously worrying, in the end, I think it's an expression rather than a cause of the deep divisions that now affect the United States' public life and political institutions. Many people, especially in the Middle East, think that 9-11 was an American or an Israeli plot. But again, this doesn't uh, cause their hatred of America, it expresses it. Once more, such ideas are the product not of postmodern doubt and uncertainty, but of deeply ingrained political prejudices and ideologies that are so passionately held that it's difficult to refute them. Here we are, this conspiracy theorist there, penguins, uh, Jeff over there is saying is a conspiracy theorist. He believes the NSA is listening to his thoughts and radio, via radio waves from his dental fillings. But if you tell him, that's waterfowl, we have no teeth, therefore no dental fillings, he invariably says, ah, they've got to you too. <laughs> conspiracy theorists, interestingly, as surveys have shown, often hold more than one conspiracy theory. For example, it's been shown that a substantial number of people both believe that Princess Diana was killed by the British Secret Service on the orders of the Duke of Edinburgh, and at the same time believe that she's still alive. <laughs> Here's a couple of nice headlines from the Daily Express. Diana death, the hundred-year wait for the truth, it says on the left. On the right, Diana, the truth. In addition, conspiracy theorists, of course, have been prone, much more prone to engage in actual real conspiracies themselves than most people are, simply because that's how, how they believe uh, the world works. Well, are there threats to democracy? Uh, let me conclude by uh, mentioning the fact that we 
commissioned a series of opinion polls from YouGov to examine conspiracy beliefs in a variety of countries. The answers give some clues about the relationship between conspiracy theories and democracy. Overall, belief in conspiracy theories seem highest in Argentina, Poland and Portugal. Uh, that goes up to 30%. So uh, about a third of people polled in, in, in Poland uh, believe that secret plots that harm the nation are more common in this country than in other countries. Uh, we, we, we sit down there at about a very, very uh, reassuring 5%, not widely believed. Argentinians believe in conspiracy theories. I think uh, 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 they, they come number three. Uh, Portugal comes number two. So quite difference there between Germany, Great Britain, and, and Sweden, those three other countries. When we take a close, closer look at public opinion data on specific theories, we see that Argentina comes out way ahead of other countries in the poor proportion of people who believe that humans have made contact with aliens and this fact has been deliberately hidden from the public. Disillusion with democracy, distrust of the political process, on the other hand, appear to be relatively low in Argentina as compared to uh, Italy and Portugal, <coughs> where the belief that whoever is in government, the same people behind the scenes actually ruling the country and even the world, is relatively widespread. On the other hand, when we get to the specific belief that government is deliberately concealing the true number of immigrants living in the country, the UK scores particularly high, along with Germany. While people in Argentina, Poland and Portugal seem to have a high degree of trust in what the government tells them. Finally, when asked whether they think democracy is working in their country, it's the Italians who tend to respond in the negative, with Poland and Portugal coming a short way behind. Although, uh, so as you can see, um, uh, Great Britain is sort of somewhere towards the lower end. But it's rather difficult to generalise. Um, in Poland, I think there's a clear threat to democratic political structures from the present right-wing government. But it's most likely the supporters of the government there that believe that secret plots are harming the nation. Italians are more likely than others to lack confidence in their democratic system. And this tallies, I think, with their distrust of what the government's telling them and their belief that the country has been ruled by a secret conspiracy behind the scenes. Perhaps that's the product of years of being governed by Signor Berlusconi. Argentinians seem to believe more than most in the government's suppression of the truth about aliens from outer space, while immigration is not a significant political issue there. And there's a good deal of confidence in <coughs> democracy, partly, I think, because the country only escaped from a military dictatorship a couple of decades ago. So if you look there at Argentina... They don't think the political system is broken because they know what it's like to be under a broken political system. Fairly recently, uh, they have a relative degree of, sort of the far left there, degree of confidence in what the government's telling them. Um, they, they think it really does make a difference 
who runs the country because they know that they were under military dictatorship until the 1980s. Um, so they indulge uh, themselves in believing there's a lot of contact with aliens, uh, which is a pretty trivial, unimportant uh, belief that doesn't really have any effect on confidence in democracy. The high rate of support uh, in Britain for um, are we there? Uh, the belief that the government's concealing the truth about immigration reflects, I think, the high level of opposition to immigration rather than a high level of scepticism about the viability of British democracy. So it's far too simple to say that belief in conspiracy theories undermining democracy, as you can see, there's a lot of cross-currents and contradictions here. Now, obviously, more work needs to be done, a comforting thought for all researchers, and we have 18 months left in our project to do it. Um, uh, you may think that conspiracy theories cause anxiety and depression amongst ordinary people and undermine trust in our political institutions and the people who run them. But there are plenty of other reasons for this lack of trust, apart from conspiracy theories. I think conspiracy theories of some varieties can do huge damage. Think, for example, of uh, anti-Semitism. But others are pretty harmless. Moon landings, aliens, and so on. Does it really matter that some people think the moon landing was fake? And few people, in the end, really believe we're ruled by alien lizards in disguise. It's only where conspiracy theories are directed at long-term trends rather than specific incidents or single observable phenomena, as in the case, for example, of global warming, that there seems to be no easily obtainable resolution to the clash of opinion. And even here, the overwhelming consensus of scientists and experts is solidly behind the conclusion that global warming is happening and is the product of man-made climate change. Conspiracy theories here play only a secondary role. Most of the energies of the deniers on the one hand and the scientific community on the other are directed at assembling evidence to support their side of the story, not to blaming the others for being conspirators. The debate goes on, but it's not a case of conspiracy theories threatening democracy, whatever else it might be. By themselves, such theories may reinforce political suspicion and prejudice, but they're seldom the origin of it. So under some circumstances, they can be something of a threat to democracy. But on the whole, I think it's fair to conclude that the scale of this threat is fairly limited. Thank you very much. For more information, please go to the Gresham College website, www.gresham.ac.uk.